Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Amen. Well, no surprise, today's title is Giving Thanks because it's Thanksgiving week and this is our Thanksgiving service today. Uh, go ahead and start in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, this message and the portions of this message that I'll be sharing is probably one of the greatest impacting messages that changed my life and my wife's a few years ago. Without getting into detail, we had trouble having kids and we started getting into some bitterness, which is easy to happen in lots of challenges. Um, but we didn't realize it. You would never have known it to see us from the outside. But on the inside, we were struggling. And so probably about 10 years ago, we got a hold of this, this message and so let's, let's get into it. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. It says, Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ, and makes manifest the savor of His knowledge by us in every place. That's part of the calling as the body of Christ. We are to manifest the fragrance of His knowledge by us everywhere we go. For unto God we are a sweet savor of Christ, in them that are saved and in them that, that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death. Isn't that nice? And to the other, the savor of life unto life. Who is sufficient for these things? Or who is qualified to be such a representative? Unto the lost, we are death unto death. You want to know why there's so much pressure against the church? From the world, from the world system from Satan, of course. It's because to those who do not yet know Jesus in here, we are a reminder of death unto death. But unto each other, when we're gathered together, there is a reflection of the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ that manifests Himself one to another. That is what I am thankful for on Sundays that we can gather or you can view by live streaming, that we can join our hearts in faith and reflect that life unto life one to another. He manifests, the, God manifests the fragrance of His knowledge throughout the whole earth. He doesn't do it by angels. He doesn't do it by Himself. He does it by the body of Christ. We smell up the world. The book of 2 Thessalonians calls us the hinderers of lawlessness. Jesus called us the salt or the preservatives of the earth. If you think it's bad now, just wait until the church is gone. Amen. We are the only thing holding back the full tidal wave of the enemy's forces. Verses 15 and 16, again, to God we are Christ... To the saved, our fellow, fellow brethren, we smell of life unto more life. To the perishing, to the unsaved world, we smell of death unto more death. So let's talk about smelling. Let's talk about the olfactory sense, okay? What does smelling do for you? Well, first of all, this time of year, oh, it's Thanksgiving. Whether you're gathering in a large family, I won't tell. 
If it's just you and your family in your household, that's fine. But some point during the day, this Thursday, there will be an overwhelming sense of smell. And what will that smell do? It helps us to taste. I don't know if you've ever been the victim of this. I have. Fighting a cold and you go out for ice cream. And you get your favorite flavor of ice cream and you're sitting there whether a spoon or you know, licking the cone and you just can't taste it. It's right there. The sugar, the calories are still going in but you can't taste the full effect of the flavor and it's because your sense of smell is being blocked. Our smell helps us to taste things. Or on the other hand, maybe I'm the only one who does this. You go to the fridge, you want a glass of milk. The, the gallon is two days old. It's two days past expiration. Do you get a big glass and pour out a 12 ounce thing and say, I don't know if this is still good. And then you chug 12 ounces and say, no, that had chunks in it. That was not good. <laughs> no, if you're like me, you're sheepish. You take the gallon, take the cap off, and you you smell it because our sense of smell helps us to taste, but it also helps us to taste before we taste by helping us to identify the state of something. You're driving down the highway. It's the summertime. The roads are hot and this poor possum met its maker. As you drive by, if you have your windows down, you smell the state of the possum. It also helps us to remind us of our surroundings. Again, Thanksgiving, fresh baked bread, cornbread casserole, banana bread, turkey, stuffing. Oh, oh, you can just smell it now, can't you? It also reminds us of our surroundings. I like to make cornbread casserole. I haven't in a while. But the secret, of course, is to put cream corn in the mix so it's nice and moist. Put some butter in there, a little milk, after you've checked that it's not spoiled. And... You put it in the oven and it's not much. It's just kind of gooey stuff that's sitting in the oven. But somewhere between 25 minutes and 45 minutes after it's been in the oven, there's a reminder of what you have coming. There's a reminder with your olfactory sense what you have coming in the deliciousness of that cornbread. And that's what our brothers and sisters are to us. It's a reminder, this fellowship that we have joined together is a reminder of what we have to come. It's a foretaste of what we have to come. I also, besides cooking cornbread, I also do yard work. And we have a nice fenced-in yard now. Praise the Lord, we finished that. And we can let the dogs go out. We have two dogs, a big one and a little one, and they like to roam the yard. And you know what dogs do in the yard. They do it in the yard. And uh, about a week ago, Michaela helped me. We wanted to do the, mow the lawn for the last time of the year. So she was on the rider, I was on the push, and we were just trying to truck through and get it done. We made it just, just in time before dark. And of course, I don't wear my dress shoes when I'm doing yard work. I, I uh, wear work shoes. So a few days later, I had to work on Michaela's van, and we needed a part. So I go to the parts store, and I'm in my work shoes. And so I go, and you know, there's social distancing, there's lines. You, you stand on the foot places, you wait till your next spot, six feet apart. And I was in line for about 10 minutes. And the longer I'm in line waiting to check out, I'm like... Not me. And then you start thinking about the people around you. Yeah. Right? Like, glad I'm not him. As I'm checking out, I look down at my work shoes. Not on the bottom where it would have worn off, but smeared all over the side. Is a reminder that I have dogs in our yard. 
So I checked out quickly and went home. Listen, to the world, we don't smell of spiritual dog poo. But we are a reflection. The light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ shines in our hearts. And not in hatred and not in bitterness and not in anger, but when we reflect the love of Jesus and the changed course of our lives, we shine light on their condition. We smell of death unto death. Not that we carry death with us, but we are a reminder of what they have coming. This is what the the church smells like. To, To God, we are Christ. To the saved, we are life. And to the dying, the perishing, we are death. So let's look at it a different way. Is this something that happens automatically in the life of every believer? Or, when you were born the first time through your mom naturally, did you arrive in this state? Did you arrive in this state? When you were born again and you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, having taken your cross to follow Him humbly all the days of your life, did you arrive in a state of perfectly at every moment reflecting Jesus? I haven't. I am thankful also for the patience of the staff at this church with the times that I have put my foot in my mouth. They are so gracious. So gracious. In Colossians chapter 3, we're going to break this down pretty much the rest of the service. In Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Colossae, explaining the function of the church. And of course, we have the communion elements. We know what we're expecting today, right? You got your elements. If you haven't, by the way, you won't offend me if you need to go out and get one. I don't think we're passing the tray today. So if you need to go get a communion element, uh, feel free. If you're at home, you can get some. I've done it with water and graham crackers. You can grab whatever. So we are preparing ourselves. In 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul talks about those who had taken communion together but weren't doing it correctly. They weren't discerning the Lord's body. Some had a a feast and other people had no no food or drink. And so there's instructions. We won't go through it. But what we are going to talk about is rightly discerning the Lord's body. So in, in Colossians chapter 3, It says, if you be risen with Christ, who's he talking to? He's talking to the church, to the born-again believer. If you then be raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear... Then shall you also appear with him in glory. The Apostle Paul is talking to the church and helping them to adjust because it is so easy with where we live here to be consumed with what we're seeing. I know there are times right now I'm on one where I just have to stay away from social media altogether because you do the scroll and it's just bitterness and and negative stuff and terrible things that are happening. Don't get me wrong, we need to be informed as the church to know how to pray. But that's not, social media is not the best place to be informed as to what God's doing in the earth or what he needs to do to help him work in the earth. But the Apostle Paul is telling the church not to identify with what your eyes are seeing here, but to remember where you are seated while your feet are here. Because you might be sitting in a pew here with your feet on the ground, but the you on the inside right now is seated with Christ on high. That is where you are. The Apostle Paul is getting us to adjust our focus, not to identify with where we are here, but to identify with where we really are in Christ. Then he goes on to some specifics. He's meddling. 
Mortify therefore your members or your carnal flesh, which are here upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, I tried practicing that word, it didn't come out quite right, covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake, the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience. Now, he's not saying if you do this, the wrath of God is going to come on you. What he's saying is if you have not been born again, these are the things that are in your nature and for which all of us at one point would be judged if we had not accept Jesus. He's saying that these things are what people are judged for hellfire for eternity. He's saying don't identify with these. Don't permit these things inside of you. Have nothing to do with them. And then he reminds them to be humble, not to judge others, in which you also walked sometime when you lived in them or were numbered among the children of disobedience. But now, and he starts to meddle again, you put off also these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy or speaking evilly of, and filthy communication out of your mouth. Paul is meddling. He's being very specific. He's not beating around the bush. Let's take a break from Colossians and go to Ephesians chapter 4, which very much runs parallel in the same theme of his letter to the Ephesians. So starting in, chapter, in verse 22, that you put off concerning the former conversation of the old man, don't identify with the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind or the attitude of your mind by the word of God, that you put on, now identify with the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. We talked about already how God is Christ. I'm sorry, we are Christ to God, right? We smell the aroma of His knowledge in us is we are Christ to God. What does that mean? What do we smell like right here? If you're ever having a down day or not sure who you are in Jesus, you are created in righteousness and true holiness. You are truly holy and that's how you smell to God. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth to his neighbor with his neighbor, for we are members one of another, speaking of the body of Christ. Be angry, we're all angry at times, but sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. And in verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. This is exactly what he was saying in verse 8 of Colossians 3. Filthy communication. Let not filthy communication come out of your mouth. Let's look at verse 29 of Ephesians 4 in the Amplified. Let no foul or polluting language, nor evil word, nor unwholesome or worthless talk, ever. I just hear my parents' voice. Ever. And now it's coming out of my mouth to my kids. Ever. Come out of your mouth but only such speech as is good and beneficial to the spiritual progress of others as is fitting to the need and the occasion. Why? That it may be a blessing and give grace, not just natural grace, but God's divine grace and favor to those who hear it. Selah. I've read that scripture for years and years, and every time I do, there's something, that light of the glory of God shines on my heart and shines on my life and I say, sorry, Jesus. I, am, I apologize for missing it. I will do better. I will speak better to my family, to my spouse, to my kids. That is raising the bar. Back to Colossians 3. So we see that there's a theme 
that Paul is, is explaining as to who we are to identify with, how we ought to treat this part of the body of Christ, and how we are to treat lying not with one another, seeing that you have put off the old man and his deeds, how we treat, how we esteem, how we discern the corporate body of Christ. Do you see those three things? To accept salvation in Jesus, you have to discern the lamb that was slain. You have to discern the high priest of our confession. Now Paul is challenging them to discern this part of the body of Christ and this part of the body of Christ. Sorry, I'm not used to talking for a long time. Verse 9, Lie not to one another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Let's look at verse 10 in the Amplified. And have clothed yourselves with the new spiritual self. Nothing changes on the outside, amen. Which is ever in the process of being renewed. Thank God for that. Listen, we do not arrive when we accept Jesus. We do not arrive when we get filled with the Holy Ghost. There is never a point in this life when we have arrived at a station where we no longer have to improve and look more like Jesus. We are ever in the process of being renewed and remolded into a fuller and more perfect knowledge upon knowledge after the image or the likeness of Him who created it, or Jesus Himself. That is our prayer when we gather together, that when we come in the door, we are not the same when we walk out. Amen. That the knowledge upon knowledge, the revelation that only the Holy Spirit of God can give, there is nothing in here that can produce wisdom in there. There is nothing that I have up here that can help you. But thank God for the anointing of God and thank God for the direction of His Word that illuminates our spirits. Amen. This speaks of identity. The Apostle Paul is telling the Colossian church how to identify themselves as being in the body of Christ, to put off the old man, and to deliberately and willfully put on the new man. Continuing in verse 11, where there is no longer Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but within the body of Christ, Christ is all and in all. Thank God for heritage. I identify myself as a Murphy. I am a Murphy. Murphy's the one thing I do not identify. Sorry if my parents are streaming at home. I do not identify with the part of the Murphys that are always late to get-togethers. I will not be late. This Murphy is not late. Other than that, though, Murphys keep their word. Murphy, Murphys are faithful friends. Murphys typically are musicians and have the ability of music. And I identify as a Murphy. However, when it comes down to it, I am in Christ. I am in Christ. That is my identity. That is the challenge that Paul is giving. Thank God for the different backgrounds we have. You know, my, my, on the other side of my family, we're Italian. And that's where all the home-cooked meals, that's where the you know, the cornbread casserole comes into play because I have Italian in my family. Thank God for those heritages. And we can identify with those for, to an extent. But Christ is all and in all. Verse 12, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy, who are we? Holy and beloved, 
put on bowels of mercies or overwhelming, moving compassion and tender mercies one with another, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, or the lack of self-promotion and long-suffering. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. We could stop here and we could go to Matthew's account of Jesus telling the parable of the unforgiving servant. We could talk about the details of how the man who was before the king groveling and begging for mercy to have more time to pay back the millions upon millions of dollars worth of debt that he could never pay back. And how that man, having received complete pardon from the king, from the king, not just from someone else, but from the king, went out and there's something that happened and there's something I want to convey with you. You cannot be gracious with someone who thinks they deserve it. You cannot be gracious with someone who thinks they deserve it. We know this because God, in the dunamis power of His almightiness, God cannot be gracious to someone who thinks they deserve it. The Bible says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so this man, having been pardoned from this millions upon millions of dollars of debt, he immediately turns away and something happens from the groveling on the floor to standing up. I deserve that. That king owed me that pardon. We know that because immediately after that, he turns around, goes, and it says he finds a servant, a fellow servant. So it's not this, it's here. It's not even a servant of his. This is a fellow servant that owed him 20 bucks. Okay, 100 denarii, but about 20 bucks. He found, he left the king and went to the servant, pinned him against the wall, said, give me the money. The guy said, no, I, I don't have it, and wanted to put him in debtor's prison. Something happened in his heart to think, I deserve this. I deserve the $20, the same as I deserve the million-dollar forgiveness. God cannot be gracious to those who think they deserve it. Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, or agape, divine love, which is the bond of perfectness. Let's look at verse 14 in the Amplified. By the way, my wife turned me on to the Amplified. I used to call it the long-winded version. But, okay, I still do call it the long-winded version, but now I understand why. There's such good depth. And above all these, put on love, divine love, and enfold yourselves with the bond of perfectness which binds everything together completely in ideal harmony. When I was studying this, I heard the Lord tell me that divine agape love within the body of Christ is the cartilage that binds parts together to help them do what they cannot do on their own and helps pro produce mobility with lessened friction. The love of God in the body of Christ is the cartilage that binds the bones together, producing more mobility with less friction. Isn't that good? The love of God is the motivation of the church. It is what we have within us that the world does not have. It is what we have that we reflect to one another. There should be a stirring anytime you get together with someone of like precious faith. There should be this, this stirring of love that produces life unto more life. Verse 15, back in the King James, And let the peace of God, 
rule in the Amplified it says, act as umpire continually in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body. There are no Methodist Christians. There are no Pentecostal Christians. There is no separate body of Christ for the Catholics, for the Presbyterians. You don't go to heaven and, and St. Peter, you know, angels direct you, okay, this is the Methodist quadrant, you have to stay here. You get to go to the throne on Mondays and Wednesdays, okay, you have the word of faith people, this is, you get to go to the throne on Thursdays and Fridays. That doesn't happen. There is one body. There is one body. You are called in one body and, okay, it's Thanksgiving service. We're finally getting to it. And be ye thankful. Be ye thankful. There is thankfulness. This is what we do when we sit around the table on Thanksgiving and hold hands or not, bump elbows, whatever. When you talk about what you're thankful for, this is the attitude adjustment. This is what we do. This is what the pilgrims do who are born-again Christians seeking the face of Jesus in a new land. This is what they did to share God's love with the natives who had never yet heard Jesus. This is what we do. We are thankful. Let me challenge you with a few things here. Well, let's read verses 16 and 17. Verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. We have two things. In verse 15, it says, being thankful. Then in verse 17, it says, giving thanks let me, let me present this. Being thankful is a heart attitude. It is an appreciation of a thing. In, in investing stocks, bonds, banking, there's this idea of your stock appreciates in value if it is magnified in value. If the value of the stock goes up, it appreciates. If it goes down, it depreciates, right? So, when we appreciate something, when we are thankful, we are looking at a thing. You know, I, I appreciate my wife. She makes me lunches every day when I come to church. It's healthy. There's all four food groups. It's, it's amazing. I appreciate the work of her hands. When stre stressing out at getting the kids ready, she takes time to make me that. That is a horizontal connection between my heart and my wife and my heart and the delicious food I eat. Appreciation, thankfulness, is a heart attitude that connects you horizontally between you and the thing that you value. That's important. That sets us apart from the world at large. That sets us apart from atheists and the many different religions. There is a thankfulness in our hearts for what God has done for us and what we experience in this life through other people and, and so on. But verse 17 this is not a hard attitude. This is not lip service. What he is talking about in verse 17, this is faith action that doesn't come out of the mind of the believer, 
It comes in part out of the soul of the believer, but this comes from the spirit of the born-again believer. What he is saying here, whatsoever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father, to the God and the Father by Him. You have access to the dunamis ruler of all creation. His ears hear your words and it has nothing to do with what you have done or what you deserve. It has everything to do with the finished work of the cross. Of whom? Of Jesus the Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. I talked about Murphy. Jesus, excuse me, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ was his function and calling. It was his office. It was his ability. Christ means it's Yeshua Mashiach in the Hebrew. It's Jesus Christ in the Greek. Christ means the anointed one or he who is qualified to bear the fullness of the anointing of God. The anointed one and the anointing he carries with him. You smell of the anointing. When God smells you, you smell of the very power of God. That is who we are and that is who we identify with. Because of that, because of what Jesus did, you and I have the ability to speak faith thanks directly to the Father. We are acceptable to Him because of Christ. We are acceptable to Him because of the anointing that destroyed the, the brokenness of this old man. Washed me clean. I'm talking about me. Washed me clean and made me able to be partakers of, of abundant life and of eternal life. Being thankful is an attitude, but giving thanks is a faith action. This is how we are fragrant in the earth. Verse, uh, excuse me, Hebrews 13, verse 15 says it this way, talking about Jesus, who is our high priest, who is the lamb that was slain by him. Therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Giving thanks to His name. Giving thanks to His name. This is the fruit of our lips. Listen, you want to know what you can give God? We take an offering to promote His work. Amen. You can serve, you can give to missionaries. You can give to a brother in need on a, on a city street. But you want to bless God? You stir up your attitude. Amen. You stir up what's on the inside and appreciate to magnify in value what God has given you in Jesus. I magnify the value of Jesus in my life. I magnify the value of the anointing in my life. I magnify the seal of promise that He gave me in the gift of the Holy Spirit. The seal of promise that one day spirit, soul, and body will be perfectly redeemed and glorified. That's that seal that I carry with me everywhere I go. I, I magnify, I appreciate the value of those things. I appreciate and value my family. I appreciate and value living in the United States of America. Yada, yada. Just go on and on and on. But if I only adjust my attitude and I don't take the faith step to let those words come out of my mouth, not just this way, if I don't take the time to by faith speak those words from my spirit to the spirit of God, I am not giving thanks. 
Being thankful is horizontal, but thanksgiving is vertical. Thanksgiving is vertical. It connects your heart directly to the heart of the Father. Thanksgiving restores fellowship. Let's look at Jesus in Luke 17. This is the lepers that approached Jesus. And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers which stood afar off. They had to social distance. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when they saw them, when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. They had to do so to prove that they were clean, because you had to social distance until you were proven by the priests that you were clean. They had to get the negative test back. As in it, it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. There were ten, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back. And he didn't wait until he was a few feet from Jesus. He saw Jesus afar off, and with a loud voice, Master, I am healed. You healed me. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, glory to your name. Praise and majesty to you, your name. You are the Messiah. You are the Master. Thank you. And he, he came down at, laid down at his feet put his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Now the other nine, you can believe that they appreciated what was given to them. They valued, they magnified in value what was given to them. You couldn't not. They went from the priests to their families that they hadn't seen in forever. I mean, I don't know if you guys have had quarantine during this time, a family member that has been or has been suspected of having COVID. But when you can get together again, and I'm not saying I have plausible deniability whether or not you hug and embrace after that quarantine, that's between you and them, but there is something about being together again after a time apart. And you know that the other nine, they appreciated that. But they did not go vertical. Verse 17, And Jesus answering, to the man that came back and gave thanks. Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that they should return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith has made thee whole. Now there are two ways, again, I, last time I was up here, I, I said I'm not a, a scholar, I can't really, I'm just, I've heard two ways that this is explained. One is that the other nine, when they were healed, the existing leprosy stopped. They were cleansed. But if their nose had fallen off, it was still gone. But this man, for his thanksgiving, was restored. The parts that had fallen off, you understand leprosy is gruesome. His nose tip came back. His earlobe grew back. His pinky toe came back. I've also heard it explained this way, not to be contrary, but in addition to, that this man being Thank you, Jesus. This man being a Samaritan with no right, no covenant to approach the throne of God, no right 
to be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus said he came to save the lost house of Israel. And then the Gentiles, thank God, that's why we're here today. But at that time, that man had absolutely no right to approach the throne of God. He had no right to go to the Messiah and request anything. Jesus says in verse 19, Arise, go thy way. Thy faith has made thee whole. You are restored by faith to fellowship. Thanksgiving restores fellowship. Let, let me say this before we move on. You cannot be thankful and unthankful. There's no between. You cannot be thankful for your family and then go home and treat them like garbage. You cannot be thankful and unthankful. You cannot be bitter and thankful. You cannot be unforgiving and thankful. Thanksgiving always restores fellowship. Vertically and horizontally. Well, what was Paul going through? Because this is the Apostle Paul. I mean, he was anointed. He saw Jesus. He was blinded by the glory of God when he was on his horse on his way to Damascus. This is Paul. He can say, thanks be unto God, who always causes us to triumph and manifests the fragrance of his savor and his knowledge by us in all the earth. He can say that. That's the Apostle Paul. He had it easy, right? No. This man was beaten and arrested and flogged and stoned and left for dead. Not this kind of stone, but the you know throwing of stones. Left for dead. When he was writing... Some of you just got that. When he was writing this letter in 2 Corinthians, he opens in chapter... Okay, bring it back. It, he, he opens in chapter 1. Let's look at verses 8 and 9. This is, this is a chapter before, and you understand he didn't write this in chapter and verse. This is the same letter where he says, Thanks be unto God for the triumph that we have in Jesus. A few paragraphs before, in the Amplified, he writes, For we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about the affliction and oppression, excuse me, oppressing distress which befell us in the province of Asia, how we were utterly and unbearingly weighed down and crushed, that with and that we despaired even of life itself. Indeed, we felt within ourselves that we had received the very sentence of death. But this was to keep us from trusting in and depending on ourselves instead of on the God who raises the dead. Now, when you read things like this, this happened because of this. It makes you think, oh, God caused it. But let's remind ourselves of what Jesus said. The thief comes to kill and steal and destroy. But I have come to give life and that abundantly. God does not cause these things. Paul is not saying that God causes these things when he says it's to keep us from trusting and depending on ourselves. What's he saying? It's the same attitude when you see what when Paul said, cried out to God over and over again because of the, um, the thorn in his flesh, which, by the way, was a messenger of Satan. He said so himself. God, when he goes to God, God says, my grace is sufficient. Was God saying, well, deal with it? No. Here in verse 9, Paul is not saying God caused this so that we wouldn't depend on ourselves. What Paul is saying is where there is a sentence of death, there is a God who raised the dead. 
Where there is sickness and disease, there is a God who heals all your diseases and bore your sickness and pain on the tree, by whose stripes you were healed. Where there is poverty, there is the God who supplies all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ, the Anointed One, and His anointing, Jesus. Where there is sorrow and despair of heart and depression, there is the joy of the Lord, which is your strength. Now thanks. Now thanks be unto God which always causes us to triumph and makes manifest the fragrance of despair? No. Makes manifest the fragrance of the knowledge of His knowledge by us in all the earth. Today we are rightly discerning the body of Christ that was slain, the Lamb that perfectly fulfilled the Old Testament by creating a new one, a new and everlasting covenant by which we are gathered today Washed clean, washed clean, no longer, no longer crimson red, washed clean, white as snow. We are discerning this body, which is the temple, part of the body of Christ, that we not do all those sinful things that Paul described. That we rightly discern this body of Christ, how we cartilage together in love. God raises the dead. He heals the sick. I said, He heals the sick. Today, He heals the sick. A chapter later, Paul writes, after talking about despair, thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. This next verse is common this time of year. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you in the office, as you are rooted in Christ, as you are born by faith, by the Spirit of God in Christ. This is the will of God in Christ concerning you. Do we give thanks for everything? Do you give thanks for the political situation our country is in right now? No. Do you give thanks for the division of families politically? No. Do you give thanks for the difficulties that we're suffering in this life? No. In everything, in the midst of everything. We have Paul's example. He just came back from Asia in despair of life. And while he was there in that desperation, he gave thanks to God. Verse 18 in the Amplified says, Thank God in everything, no matter what the circumstances may be. Here it is. The Amplified, this is my message in one verse. Being thankful and giving thanks. For this is the will of God, for you who are in Christ Jesus, the revealer and the mediator of that will. Praise the Lord. This is the call of the church. And I'm talking to myself. This is the call of the church to be fragrant before the Father, to stand boldly in your redemption, to discern the body of Christ. Because if you are allowing guilt and condemnation to be in your soul, you are not discerning the body of Christ that was slain. You are saying there is something you did that is bigger than what Jesus did perfectly on Calvary. Repentance takes many forms. 1 John 1.9 If you confess your sin to the Father, Repenting. He is faithful. 
He is just. He will forgive you, He will cleanse you, and He will restore you as though you had never sinned in the first place. That is discerning the body of Christ. If there is a habit in your body or a regular sin that you are dealing with, this is the temple. This is the body of Christ. There is another form of repentance. And if you are not appreciating and giving thanks for this corporate body, whether here or, like I said, Methodists and Presbyterians and Catholics, all who name the name Jesus, there is repentance there. I challenge you this week to set a habit, to take time and remember that, thank, give, that being thankful is horizontal. Do that. Hold hands. Talk about what you're thankful for. I plan on doing it with our boys. What are you thankful for? It's fun to hear what they say. But take time to go vertical. Amen. Together with your family and on your own. Stay horizontal. Keep your attitude. Magnifying the blessing. Magnifying the gift. And going vertical. Let's all stand together before the Lord.